Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. Today, um, not as serious as the last one. Last time we were talking about effectively guilt and the power of the cross as a re- uh, as a reminder of our ultimate innocence before God, which is ultimately what matters. You know that justification uh, does not need to be a a weight that is constantly you know the 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 pendulum swinging down in you know Poe's tail of the pit in the pendulum fantastic horror story by the way um but that's not you, you don't need to treat your 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 justification and your guilt like that you know where it's constantly coming closer and closer and you know just anyway um I'll leave Poe to you in the middle of nowhere interesting story on Poe before I get into it he has some fantastic stories one of them is the murders in the rue morgue and I'm not going to spoil it, but I will say, from a basic detective perspective, it's fascinating, right? I mean, this is Sherlock Holmes-style detection in, in the way that he goes about telling the story. Uh, but the in, in classic Poe fashion, it is a bit, uh, you know, dark. And the first time I ever heard this story was my father was reading it to me when we were out camping. So all we really had were a couple of lanterns and then the forest beyond and if you're looking for a spook it's a good it's a good thing here in the month of october where so many people like to do that go out into the wilderness and read some poe it'll it'll get the it'll get the shivers up on you but uh yeah this this episode's going to be a little bit different um than than last week and yet probably somewhat theological mostly because the inspiration comes from one of the psalms that I'm reading. Uh, I have a daily psalm, a psalmody that I have to, not have to, that I have the, the, the glorious responsibility of going through as a member of a men's group called the Sons of Solomon. This is a national men's organization, not organization. It's, it's a grassroots group of men who come together to pray the psalms and on a daily basis, right? Every day you read, you read certain psalms out loud, think through them, meditate on them, uh, and use that to to really add guidance to your life and, you know, breathe what those words say, you know, to, to make them a part of who you are. And the the fact that we're doing them together is, an, is a good inspiration. It's a good way to have some discipline with it. And then the the Psalms themselves are obviously good because they're the the, the, the word and, and fantastic poetry, some, some great imagery in there. And one of the pieces of advice given to me by one of my mentors in this group was to, to look at the word soul, because the word soul shows up a lot in the Psalms. And one of the particular Psalms that we're dealing with is Psalm 131, and this is in the evening. And and so Psalm 131, effectively, there's this, this section of it, right? I have not, I've not made myself, I've not looked at two things that are beyond me. It's a reminder at the end of the day that, yeah, it, this is enough. The Lord is enough. And I've calmed and quieted my soul. And that particular phrase is absolutely fascinating when you, when you let, let it be mean what, what the word includes, right? That the word soul includes the word breath, like that you are a breathing thing, a living being. You are one in whom God gave the breath of life. 
And that little insight is fascinating because then it it's a good reminder about stress itself, right? We, we Stress is, I would argue, the biggest unseen issue and yet felt issue that we have in our culture, especially right now, right? We just went through, we, we, are, we are in the midst of many months of lockdowns, social isolation, fear, panic. Oh, and guess what? It's an election year. So everyone has an incentive. All of the major media, all of the political groups have an incentive in selling you even more fear. And so we're, we're building up this, this stress. We have no good outlets for it because we're all cooped up indoors with no friends, no alternatives. And I'm supposed to say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. But then how do I do that? Right? If, if that is a, a, a duty, a good thing to do, how do I cut stress? Well, let's look at breath. Right? What if, how do I calm my breath? What does that look like? And so then it, it, it moves from that into actually focusing on, well, how could I calm and quiet my breath? Is there some sort of meditation that I could do that would be beneficial toward actually improving my psychological state that, that my soul, right, my, my being can be put in better order if I focus on my breath, if I allow my breath to, to guide me. And earlier this year, I, I actually mentioned in a podcast the Wim Hof Method, right? W-I-M-H-O-F, Wim Hof. This is the guy who this is the guy who holds the records for cold tolerance. I mean, like swimming in freezing water, and you know he's he's new on the scene of kind of the in vogue, crazy guru type of people, right? So he's one of those early adapter kind of people that that has a crazy idea, and some people buy into it and they do it. And they see like weird results because they've never tried anything before. And so then you get this kind of cult of personality sort of thing building up around that. And it, he's kind of like that, right? To, to be fair to, to, to uh, skeptics, right? He is something like that. Hey, this is a new fad. This is a new dude with a new fad. Here you go. Okay. However... He does have some evidence behind what he does that uh, his methods improve immune health and definitely improve cold exposure. And the fact, the very fact that he is giving me a guided means by which to focus on my breath is, in my mind, valuable. So I took advantage of that. And that's what I've been doing recently. And I used to be doing other uh, breathing meditation that, that I kind of was inspired by him, just trying to see how long can I hold my breath? Right? How long can I, can I actually quiet my breath? Because you end up, when you, when you do hold your breath, you end up having to really breathe hard after you, you, you finally give in, after you finally give up. You have, to, you have to take a few deep, deep breaths in order to, to get back to normal. And so you really have to inhale, and you, you know, your whole your whole body gets involved with that. And and as you're running out of air, right now, fair warning, do not hear this as a as as me saying, hey, just try to make yourself go unconscious by not breathing. No, this is I'm going to make a conscious effort to try and 
withstand that that impulse, right? This is like swimming, right? If you're swimming and you want to swim all the way across the pool underwater, that's a good challenge. Now, don't kill yourself. Don't drown. That's that's like I feel like that shouldn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it because I'm on the internet and people are idiots. But yeah, don't drown. So if you're holding your breath, not underwater, don't push yourself to the limit where you go unconscious. But to challenge yourself, to challenge myself at least, has been has been valuable because suddenly I'm I'm calming my breath, I'm quieting it, I am becoming in tune with what it is. And part of the beauty of his method is he, he asks you to do th- about 30 to 40 deep breaths before you exhale and hold your breath, right? So you don't get to use your lung capacity to you know store a bunch of oxygen and then see how, how long you can hold it. You have to breathe out and like get rid of the oxygen and, and you know be ready to take in more. So you're expelling carbon dioxide. Your body uses up all of its latent oxygen. And, and then you just have to sit there. And, and you, you're not breathing in. You have to think about something. You have to put your mind on something. And his, his encouragement, as, as most mindfulness people will, will say, is focus on your body. Focus on where it, it has sensation while you're holding your breath. And there's beauty in that. There is such beauty in that. In saying, I'm going to now take this time calming and quieting my breath and focusing on where I am, who I am, and, and what that offers me. What does that mean to, uh, you know, that I am not, that I'm, you know, I'm effectively pausing life right now? I, I'm not checking my phone. I'm not listening to music. I'm not out and, and about. I'm not thinking. I'm not processing. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm quieting my, my soul. I'm eliminating all those nasty distractions that are just so common, and I'm going to to dwell in this moment. That's honestly been one of those big impacts for for me to to get through this whole period sanely, right? Good food and good uh, exercise and mindfulness, because in the absence of other people, you have to you know to a certain extent be self reliant. Now. Having other people and community has been like has made it ridiculously easy to get through this whole thing. But if you're looking for the small fixes, honestly, spending 10 minutes trying to hold my breath as long as I can, and then right when I end up needing to breathe in, all right, now I'll try it again and take a whole you know spend two three minutes breathing, just breathing deeply, and then hold again. That process just gets me, get, got me, has, has continued to empower me to perceive my own body and perceive my own breath. And it is a subconscious thing. Breathing is something that we just do. You don't, when, it's not, when you're not short of breath, you really don't think about your breathing. It falls into the back. It's like a heartbeat, right? Except you can't control a heartbeat. You can control your breath. You can control your breath, and then, well, you can sort of control your heartbeat by controlling your breath, by controlling how your body is interacting, right? If you jump up and down a whole bunch, you'll increase your heart rate. Well, there you go. If you sit quietly and meditate, you can lower your heart rate. You can't stop it, and you wouldn't want to because that's that's stupid. But you do have that little bit of control. You have that little bit of responsibility 
to your own health, to your own sanity, to your own psychological health, because you're not just a brain in a in a you know mech, right? You are not some you you are not your brain. You are you in your entirety. Your identity is tied with with your body, and I think our our society has has forgotten this in large part that that we somehow think that your physical presence isn't you, but you are some metaphysical, not real thing that that's not a soul, but it's it's just basically a soul. But it's like you aren't who you are. You change and you be who you want to be. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not going to conform to that. I'm not going to conform to you saying, oh, my, my body is what I choose it to be. No, it's no, to a certain extent, sure. But you're also, you also have to live under the limitations of reality, right? And this is, this is not just in terms of like pro-life. Yes, I am pro-life. Once you have kids, you, you don't get to decide that you're not going to take care of them. You have to take care of them because you made that choice, right? If you, if you chose to to engage in the thing that makes you pregnant, well, you're pregnant now. That's your that's your responsibility. That's your duty. That is your body. And it's not just yours, but you are a custodian of something greater than yourself. That's a beautiful thing. You're part of a symbiotic relationship. You are part of something greater than you. You have a duty now, and you can't deny that. You're not allowed to just deny the reality that is existing there. Right? This is to the whole transgender ideology. Oh, your body isn't yours. Or heck, even just every single facet of the LGBTQ, the, the sodomy agenda. Right, Every single facet of the sodomy agenda, including the uh, no-fault divorce courts. I'm going to count that as part of the sodomy agenda, by the way. Um, it's slightly different because it's a matter of headship, but it also deals with the relationship of men and women and... As a man, I, I really wish we could have fixed that um, in retrospect. I'd love it if we could end it. But anyway, that's a, perhaps a topic for another day. The entire sodomy agenda is, if, is based around denial of basic biology. And, and the denial that basic biology has an effect on who you are. That if you are a man, you're a man and you cannot deny that. And if you're a woman, you're a woman and you cannot deny that. You can try, but you will fail. Because you are not just some idea, right? <laughs> what was that? That was a uh, comment in a recent debate was that, what was it? Antifa is an idea. I can tell you for sure an idea is not what threw bricks at my head four years ago. An idea is not what has, well, would have willingly beaten the, the you know, out of me. And uh, yeah, that wasn't an idea. I guarantee you that. I'll tell that story sometime. But similarly, you yourself are not an idea. You're real. And I think, I think that, that idea that, well, this physical entity of people enacting political violence, that's an idea. It, it, it comes from the same philosophical source that would make you believe that you yourself are an idea. But you're not an idea. You're you. You have ears. If you do not have ears, you could not listen to this right now. Now, there are some people who are deaf who are able to sense it via other means of perturbation, but they probably would not be able to hear what I'm saying right now. They'd be able to hear bass. If somebody transcribed it, you have eyes and you'd see that. If you are able to access this at all, you probably have hands. And you, I bet you have eyes too. You probably have a nose because most people have noses and we kind of ignore them. I think the nose is highly undervalued sense. 
But you have a body. You are you. You have breath. Without the breath that you have, you, you can't, you aren't. You aren't. You simply aren't. Now, you can quiet it or you can allow it to be constantly stressed. You can, you can allow your existence to be in turmoil, yourself to be in turmoil. How? Well, you could get overweight. You could uh, not work out. You could feed yourself a whole bunch of garbage. You could only ingest a bunch of stress and fear because what, what you put in is what you'll get out. You know, you could spend your time worrying about other people's like lives and how they're better than yours and not about actually doing what is right, putting your own house in order and in order that you might serve others, right? Being your own head in order that you might lead others, being a responsible follower. I mean, there's ways you can actually put your life together if you actually think that you matter. If you think that it matters, that, that you are who you are and that you are not just some idea, you're a person. You are a human being with a breath, with a heart that beats to drive that breath through your entire body, to move the blood carrying the oxygen all throughout from your fingers to your toes. And when you, when you calm that breath and you, you, you meditate on your heart a little bit, right, you can feel that, that beating. Right? And, and it, there's a reason that it impacts us. There's a reason that we think of the heart as a, a pivotal thing, or at least throughout history we have, rather than the mind. Now, the mind is important. It's valuable. But in the same way that you can't live without a mind, you cannot live without a heart. And I'd say right now we're trying to do both. We have a culture that is, uh, that is quickly and, and remarkably, irrationally denying the existence of the heart, of, of the actual physical body, as though it is nothing, as though it is meaningless. You're a much more complicated creature than that. Do not deny it. Embrace it. Embrace the gift of your own physicality, of your own breath. And embrace it, I would, I would argue the best way to embrace it is to spend time breathing. And I personally like the Wim Hof Method. I like the Wim Hof Method because it also takes away the breath. It's a conscious reminder that the breath is not mine. That the breath belongs to the one from whom all calm and quiet ultimately can come. Without whom I would not, I would not be. That, that I am dust, and to dust I shall return when my breath leaves me, when he reclaims me. But I'll get it back. I'll get it back. If you listened to the last episode, you probably got a little bit of that. But as we uh, approach the end of this podcast, I'm going to encourage you. If you need a guided meditation app, the Wim Hof application is fantastic. It's a great thing. The, the fact that you're holding your breath gives you an opportunity to challenge yourself and push yourself. And I think that's, that's valuable, right? So you can look at progress. You can actually see yourself getting better at holding your breath and push yourself to be more quieted in your soul. But I'd also encourage that just across the board, you recognize your own body as a real thing. You listen to it every now and then and think about it. And think about what it means that you do happen to have all these things and, and recognize that they're good. That your Savior has them too. Well, if you're a man. Um, and and that, that that humanity is good. 
Appreciate it. Dwell in it. Love it. Do not love the fact that you know, it's imperfect, but look forward to the day when it will be perfected. And I'll see you then.